morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. Well, um, we've been talking about the church and what it means to be the church. Anybody remember what it means to be the church? To be the body of Christ. We've been talking about how the church is his body, his means of revelation on this earth to the world. Again, who is God? The church reveals him. What does God require of us? The church reveals that. What is the love of God and the love of God towards all? It should come through the church. And that's how we are to function. We have a purpose. We have uh, a significance as the actual embodiment of Christ on this earth. At Christmas, Jesus took on a body and he walked this earth for 30-some years and then he left. But he didn't leave us. The Holy Spirit came and indwelt his people And he indwells his people, his people individually and together. And so we are are a special organization. We don't just come together to have a worship service. We come together because we have a mission and we have a significance. And together we are stronger. Together we can encourage each other and we move forward. So we've been talking about that. And I want to bring it to this today because we're moving forward. What are we moving forward to? We have a destination, and a lot of people don't think about what that is. A lot of people don't think of what I just spoke about. They just come to church, and they worship, and then they go, and that's it. But there's a purpose to all this. There's a purpose to our being here, and there's a destiny. There's a destination. So what we're talking about today is the destination. And to know where you're going will help you in the growing. To know where you're going will help you in the growing. To know where you are can help you sort things out. How many of you ever use those uh, GPS things on our Android phones or iPhones? I guess iPhones have them too, right? I'm probably the only one in here with an Android. No. Uh, But, yeah, we can both use those things. And imagine what it would be. You're listening to these directions. Take this turn and a quarter mile turn left and all that. When you Imagine having the directions and not having the destination. That would be silly, right? I mean, of course, you, you put in the destination first. But it seems like, generally speaking, the church has lost sight of their destination. We hear a lot of directions, instructions, and then we can hear a lot of wrong directions and instructions, too. Have you ever used those GPS things and you know where you're going and then it tells you to do something wacky? You say, this isn't right. <laughs> you know, wait, let's, let's recalibrate this or something. You have a better idea of bad directions. You know something if you have an idea of your destination. Now, I didn't have that. Coming up to Knoxville, we were taken on this little road called Coward Mill right off of Pellissippi. And, yeah, it was shorter. But we could have gotten the uh, Hardin Valley Drive. It would be a lot easier and simpler. But anyway, now I know that. I know, my, I know the area. I know the surrounding. I know where I'm going. And I can sort out the bad directions. So the church must understand where it's going. And again, ecclesia means called out. That's the church, right? Called out. But we're called out to come into. And last week we talked about what we're coming into. And we're coming into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the gospel has often presented, has been presented as a one and done deal. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Do you believe? Did you pray a prayer? 
Well, yeah, don't worry about me, Pastor. I prayed a prayer when I was in the fourth grade. I went down to the altar, gave my life to Jesus. I had someone tell me that, and then he started bragging about what he partied with last weekend and how he's, you know, cheating people at work and things. Don't worry about me, Pastor. I gave my life to the Lord when I was in fourth grade. I'm okay. Well, now, if he knew the destiny of the church, he might not think that. You have to understand that there is a destiny, and the gospel is not just a sign on the dotted line, you're saved. The gospel puts you on a path. And we could describe that path, as I mentioned last week, as discipleship. We need to become disciples, not just uh, converted Christians. We need to become disciples. And I was going to say Paul said in Hebrews 6.1, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but if you don't, we'll say the author of Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. There's a lot there, but look at the phrase, let us go on. Let us go on. What it means, it reveals here that there is a destiny, a destination. There is a process going on. You're on a path, you're going on, and it seems strange. Let's move away from these things. But how often do we stay on the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of baptisms, laying on hands, and eternal judgment. All those things are great. You have to know those things. It's what gets you started. I need to repent from dead works. I need to get right with the Lord. I need to receive the blessings from the laying on of hands. I need to be baptized. I need to be safe from eternal judgment. There is a destiny for everyone, a destiny for the world and a destiny for the church. And the destiny for the world is going into that place of eternal judgment. So we can rejoice always that we have been saved from judgment. If you're placed in Christ, you're safe. You're safe from the coming storms. You might deal with issues in life, but you're safe from the final destination of wrath that is coming to a world that has been steeped in sin and wickedness. Oh boy, this is old time preaching now. Turn turn or burn. No. <laughs> well, see, you know, there's a place for that. But now... It says, let us move on from that. We don't stay there. And if all you do is get hammered, turn or burn, turn or burn, turn or burn, you're going to miss the process, the path that God wants you on to experience something even greater. What does he say? He says, let us go on to perfection. You can actually go on to perfection. Well, you know, I got eternal life. But a lot of people say, well, that's down the road, and they don't pursue that Right now, if we're on a path towards perfection, if we're going on to perfection, we can experience life now. Anybody read the Pilgrim's Progress? We were talking about that Thursday, I think. Remember when the Christian found the good news of salvation and then he started telling his family and his friends about it? They said, no, you can't leave this stuff. You can't. What about this? What about this? And what did he do? He put his fingers in his ears and he shouted, eternal life. And he ran away from, he ran away from the voices that were calling him off that path. And there are voices that call us off the path every day. There are distractions out there. The media we choose, the music we listen to, the books we read, whatever friends we're hanging out with, what we're subjecting to ourselves to on the Internet. All these things are voices, and they can be calling you off the path of perfection, the path of eternal life in which you can have 
the power to overcome, which you can have power to, to make it. You can have power in the things of God, but so many people aren't experiencing that because they're not pursuing it. They don't see themselves on that path, on that process. They are not keeping the destination of perfection in mind. And some, pe- some people say, well, perfection. Don't go preaching perfection. They used to preach perfection the holiness days. And nobody can live up to perfection, right? So what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say here? I'm saying you're looking at perfection wrong. Perfection should not be shunned. It should be embraced if you look at it the right way. I mean, look at what we're talking about, eternal judgment. But look, let's look at perfection and say the glory. Let's look at perfection. What, what is coming in the days ahead? What, what doesn't work best when it's in a perfect condition? And Jesus has promised to bring us into a place of perfection. In fact, you don't have to fear perfection. You say, well, I can't even make it through the day. I can't, I can't do one thing right. How am I supposed to be perfect? It's not your perfection. It's his perfection. He's the one that does it. This, is, this takes the pressure off of us. This is the good news of the gospel. In fact, it says in Hebrews 10:14, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In Christ, you're perfected. Is, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you're perfected. One offering has done it. When you said yes to the Lord, he changed something inside you. You became a new creation. You became uh, the child of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is perfection in you. Everything of heaven has been deposited in you if you've been born again, if you've received the Lord Jesus, if you're following him. There has been a supernatural work of perfection that has taken place in your spirit. Your spirit has become alive. You have the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You don't have to beg God for those. You have to claim them by faith and say, that's what God has done in me. But then there's this problem. Your spirit has been made perfected, but your body didn't get perfected. You're still the same body. Your mind didn't get perfected. If you were bad at math before you got saved, you're going to be bad at math after you got saved, right? And that's, you know, it's just nothing changes on the outside. It all changed on the inside. But you have to remember, it's been changed. Perfection. Now, we're moving on to perfection. What does that mean? Same thing is that he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified means to be set apart. But sanctification is what we use a term in the, in the theological world, in the church world. And people think of sanctification as I'm getting perfect. I'm, I'm moving more. I'm becoming more holy as I grow. I'm going to say that sanctification is simply uh, walking into what you've already got or walking out what's already been placed in you. You have been made something extraordinary. You have been given something extraordinary, and you have been set apart for something extraordinary. And we don't feel so extraordinary sometimes. That's where faith comes in. We have to understand Jesus has done something here. And what I need to do is learn how to flesh that out, how to walk that out. And it comes by the renewing of my mind. In other words, I'm on a process of releasing what the Lord has done already. I'm not trying to get it. 
I've got it, but I need to get it out. And this is what we're to grow in. And this is moving on to perfection. It puts us on a course. Christians, you and me, we have to see ourselves on a course. Again, I said there's a course the world is going on, but we are on a course with a destiny. And we see it in Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The course we're on, we are in training for reigning. That's what the church is about. See, we got to get this in our in because a lot of times you can come in these doors and say, oh, not many people here today. Oh, here we go again. Same thing. Same. No, this is a place where we are in training for reigning. And again, I'm going to bring it out like I did last week, hopefully, that you hopefully you understood this. It's not just receiving training from the pastor and I'm feeding you information. That's part of part of training for reigning. But the other side of it is the body of Christ, all the members working together, functioning together, encouraging each other. Why do we need to get together? Hebrews 10.25, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves so that we may exhort each other and all the more as the day approaches. Why do we get together? Because we are on a course. And the course, training for reigning, the course is contrary to the course the world is on. And yet we deal every day with the world. And we're inundated with the world, screaming at our faces and trying to mold us and shape us. We're on a course that's contrary to that. And so as we assemble together to exhort each other, as we see the day approaching, it's because we're all on a different course. And it's not easy to be on this course. Amen? It's not easy to be a Christian in the world. And and the Lord never said it would be. But it's good, and it's rewarding, and it's powerful, and it can be more powerful. There's power in perfection, and as you move on in perfection, you receive more power. And the power and the glory, that is what reveals the light of God. That's what reveals the light of God in your life. When the devil hits you, when temptation hits you, when there's a trial that hits you, if you're walking in the light of God, it doesn't have as much power as it does otherwise. The devil will come in and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. And if we're not walking in the light, if we're not growing in what we have, the perfection that I'm talking about, we'll be easy prey for that thing. But the more we grow, the more we are in training for reigning. We reign in life now. You say, I can't even reign my day in. I'm at a loss for my day. Well, Romans 5.17 says, How much more those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Look at that. You have received an abundance of grace for your mess-ups, for your failures. Well, how could I ever do anything good? How could I ever expect to be blessed? Abundance of grace. There it is. The pressure is off. Oh, am I messed up just now? I just had this thought come in my head. Abundance of grace. Well, surely God can't see me as righteous and the gift of righteousness. It's not your works of righteousness. It's a gift. You know, we talk a lot about salvation is a free gift. Did you know the other side of the coin is righteousness? That's a free gift, too. And you get it the same way. It's by faith. By faith. Well, I'm not righteous. No, not in yourself you're not. But you have been made a new creation and you are united with the Lord 
of righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous. It is his righteousness. And that's that's what I'm saying. You don't grow and try to become righteous. You grow from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's already credited to you. It's already yours, but you can't enjoy it. You can't receive it or, or walk in the power of it except by faith. Receive it. It is a gift that you will then reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So I just gave you two scriptures here. In Revelation, it says we're going to reign forever and ever. That's talking about the age to come. But here, the verse says you can reign in life now. Does that mean you're going to rule cities and all these things? No, not necessarily. But you can rule over principalities and powers and the demons that try to tempt you and stir you up into sin in your life. You can rule over anxiety, fear, and sickness and depression. You can have a reigning in life through one Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that? Well, again, it's growing and knowing. And when you know, you grow, and then you go. That's what motivates you. I like to rhyme a lot, you can see. Knowing, growing, and going. The knowing, the more you know you get in the Word, the more you're going to grow and the more you're going to go in it. And that'll take you places you've never dreamed of. But I'm not just talking about going somewhere geographically. I'm talking about going on to perfection, going in the Lord. You don't have to be afraid of perfection. It's His perfection, and He's the one that does it. He's the one that sanctifies us. So that's the course we're on. And if you knew what you have, everything, and all things are yours, it says in the Bible. If you knew who you were in Christ, you're not just slovenly, weak, scummy you that we once were. And I can still feel that way about myself. And I have to say, that's not me anymore. That's the old man, but the old man's been crucified with Christ. That's the phantom that keeps haunting me. But I know who I am. According to the word of God, I am the child of God. And how great is the the love of God that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And it says there in 1 John chapter 3 that that's what we are. We are. You can't escape it. If you are in Christ, you are a child. You're not a slimy worm, a beggar, or an old sinner saved by grace. You were those things, perhaps. But now you're in him. And it doesn't mean that you're going to go sin-free the rest of your life. But it does mean that's not who you are at the core of your being. This makes such a difference in your walk. If you realize, I'm not this person, even though it seems that way in the flesh and the natural, if I renew my mind, get this straight, I am who God says I am, then there's victory and there's power. So, of course, we get together, uh, we assemble because these are things that the world doesn't teach us. These are things that the world comes against and wants us not to believe. We have to come together and encourage each other. How was your week? My week was pretty good. But yours? Oh, I dealt with somebody at work, and they, aren't, they are certainly not friendly to the gospel. And I got, well, how do we help encourage each other then? You know, you, you come to a family when you come together at church who says, you're on the right track. Keep going. We're, we're behind you. We got your back. And all of this, it says in Hebrews 10.25 that we may exhort each other as we see the day coming. Here's a great thought for you. That we don't exhort each other just to get through the day. We exhort each other in anticipation of the day. Not just to get through the day. We are in anticipation of the day. And as I said earlier, there's a day coming. And most people just think of it as the eternal judgment 
But going back to that verse in Hebrews 6, that's just the foundational, that's the beginning stuff. Let's go on past that. Let's go on to perfection. What else about that day? The day is the destiny of the church. It is the great wedding day of the Lamb. It is the great wedding day where we come into the fullness as the bride of Christ. Anybody here ever get married? Did you anticipate your day? Did you, you look forward to that day? That day's coming. Well, that's what we have. We have a day coming. Now, we are now being prepared for the wedding. And even now, practically speaking, we are the bride of Christ. We're, we're in a sense, betrothed. In, in the ancient times, when they were betrothed, they were practically married. But then there was a wedding later in which it was all consummated. In Asia, the Asian culture, you know, this is typical. People are married long before their wedding day. So, you know, I thought you guys were married and, and you're inviting me to your wedding? What's, what's going on? I had this in China a lot. And I finally realized, yeah, they, they get married and then they take weeks, months, years to plan this wonderful wedding celebration. So, practically speaking, we have, uh, we have the privileges and we have the placement as the bride but it's all coming to a consummation that's extraordinary. But I want to look at this just as our destiny. This will help us understand more in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go quickly through these verses that you've heard before probably for husbands and wives. But if you're familiar with this passage, you know it's talking about husbands and wives, but he's really talking about the mystery of the church. The mystery of the church. The church is a mystery. We've been unfolding this mystery. So the church is not just a place where you have a religious ceremony or worship. It is the gathering of the body, the gathering of the bride in preparation for the days, anticipating the day to come. So the first thing in Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. We start with love. Our Lord loved us so much he gave himself for us. I've been reading about different ancient religions, and uh, and most of them, you know, if you go back to Egyptian things and the occult and all that, so they all require sacrifices, human sacrifices, and it's ugly. I don't know of anyone else but Jesus Christ who didn't require a human sacrifice but gave Himself as the sacrifice for His people. That is love, and we're to submit. He gave Himself for us. He went through so much so that we could have so much. I mean, and and eye has not seen, ear ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who, who love him. But he's revealed them to us by his spirit. In your spirit, you know these things. They're they're there, but in your mind, it's not quite clear. That's the disciples. We have to draw this out. The love of God, you know Jesus loves you. But to have that love affect you, you have to draw it out. And that's the part of the growing process. As a disciple, we grow. And so we would know. And that gets us going. So he gave himself for her. And we talk about submission. Wives, submit to your husbands. It says that husbands are submit to one another. So everyone submits. But how would you not want to submit to him when you see what he does for you? He gives himself for you. And the next verse tells you what else he does that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. 
So not only does he give himself, but he also takes care of everything that we're talking about here. Again, it's his perfection. He's cleansing us. He's doing the sanctifying. I can't make myself right. When I first became a Christian, I was into all kinds of unholy things. And you want me to fix that? (laughs) Good luck. And, you know, a lot of people think that's their job and they have to. No, only thing we have to do is submit to Jesus and say, yes, Lord. Just saying, yes, I love you. I can't fix myself. I invite you to come and fix me. These things, these issues. I'm still saying that there are still things as I grow as a disciple and I struggle with things and they come to my mind. I go to the Lord in prayer say, Lord, there's something here you need to fix because I can't do it. But that's when... You've pressed the start button. You know, you just got to press that start button and then the process starts going. It may take a while longer. It may take less. But you submit. As a wife submits her, you submit to Christ and say, you love me. I know you love me and you're going to fix me. You're the one that sanctifies me. And how does he do it? With the washing of water by the word. So you put yourself in position. You get into this word. And again, it's not that I got to fix myself and get... Get according to this word, well, you do what you can, but it's the word that's going to do the work. It's the word that's going to change you. The word is the seed. The word brings forth the fruit. That's the good news of the gospel. Again, Jesus gave himself. He didn't require us to die. Although he does say, make yourselves living sacrifices. That's another sermon, but it's a good thing. It's like getting married when you, you want to give yourself to the person you love. That's all it's talking about. But I've got to talk more about that another day. But what I'm saying here is that he is in charge. He's the one. You just have to be in submission to that. Well, what does that mean to be in submission? Submission means to be in position, to recognize who you are, to be in place with him, united with him. And that's what he goes on to talk about here. You don't go to God as a a beggar and a worm. You go as the bride or as the child. And not just as one that God's saying, well, I'll tolerate you. you you okay. I died for you. No, it's, we're going to see that he's, he's making you into a beauty. He's washing you with the water of the word. It's his work, and he's doing it. The next verses say in Ephesians 5.27 that he might present you to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is the perfection. You're in training for reigning, and you're also in training for the relationship as the bride. And in both things, you want perfection. You don't want spot and blemish. We all know what leaders who run things with spot and blemish are like. We've had enough of that, amen? But we're not going to be that. We're going to have the perfect, spotless position of reigning, with Christ. It's not going to be a stressful thing. It's going to be a glorious thing. And that's our our function. But it's also not just reigning, it's relationship as the bride, as the wife of of the the highest, the most highest, the most beloved. We are in relationship. And that relationship, everyone has relationships and sometimes they get strained or there's a spot or blemish and you want to fix it, right? But this is a relationship in which there's going to be no interruption, no corruption, no, no strain, no stress about it. It's, it's all good. And I would say that uh, that's what he's doing now. In the spirit, it's all good already. He, we have been united with Christ. We've been made new creations. We are partakers of the divine nature, it says in First Peter 
and he's preparing us for the outflow, the consummation of that as the day approaches. And that's what we are going through. And that, uh, the next verse is 28 and 29. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nurses it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Oh, my. <laughs> we don't just come to worship, but we come to get nourished and cherished. The, that God cherishes you. You know, this is hard to grasp, hard to get our minds wrapped around. I mean, we, we preach it. God loved us so much he gave his life. But get past that first thing and get into, he cherishes you. And he wants to nourish and cherish you just as he would nourish and cherish himself. It's, that's how he loves himself, by loving you and that's that's a motivation for husbands to love their wives and for wives to love their husbands that we nourish and cherish and it's a way of loving ourselves. Why? How is it that we that we love ourselves in that? Well, the next verse explains because we become one. Next verses, uh, verses 30 to 32 says we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we have left our mother and father, Adam and Eve. We've left the place of the curse and the corruption, and we've become members of his body, the church, in which he's working to bring spotless and without blemish. And we are of his flesh and of his bones. You you keep saying, what's he talking about being a partaker of the divine nature? Here it is, the incarnation. We are part of him. He is part of us. It's not just that he has us and maybe he'll use us. We are him. We are not him, him. You get what I'm saying. But we are spiritually united to him as a wife is united to her husband. When a wife gets married to her husband, in a lot of cases, most of the time in America, they change their name because they have a new identification with their husband. And that's how we need to identify. We are identified with Christ Jesus. And again, that means that we don't go about, oh, just help me get through the, I'm just a beggar, I'm just a poor worm and wretch and things like that. No, we have to say, I am united to him. I have his name. I go in his name. I believe in his name. I walk in his name. I'm the family of God. I have royalty. We lost a queen this week, right? But you'll never lose your royalty in Christ because you are united to him. And this is the way we need to think. We're not being hammered, pounded by the world. We're learning and growing in a world that we know is on the wrong track. We're learning how to reign in life through one Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And it's all coming to a consummation. It's all coming to that wedding day. And the wedding day, again, is your perfect day. We're going on to perfection. And how many of you know that when you plan a wedding, you're planning for the perfect day? And it becomes a time of great anticipation. I mean, that's all the couple talks about as they wait for this ceremony to come. They, you know, the the girl, the guy showing their rings. The guy doesn't have a ring till the wedding here. I'm, I'm getting my cultures confused, but we know we know that most most of, most of the time, look at my engagement ring, you know, and 
the couple's talking about all the preparations they're making. Oh boy, this is going to be a costly wedding. Oh boy, it's going to be so costly. Our heavenly wedding is the cost has been covered. The Lord's taking care of it, and He has a lot more resources to go. But, you know, they're talking about the wedding. They're making preparations. They're plotting all how it's going to go. They're planning for the perfect day. And that's how we are. We, we need to keep these things in our mind as the church. The things we do, everything we do should be with this anticipation. We're coming into that day. And, you know, we want to invite people to the wedding. We want to invite people to be a part of it. We want the bridesmaid, the groomsmen. We want people to become the bride with us is really what, it's, what I'm getting at here. As we go in anticipation, the church has a duty to be the revelation of Christ, the incarnation of Christ on this earth, and also those who are inviting, making disciples so that everyone can join in and be a part of this glorious day that's coming. And the church just has been falling down on the job, more or less, depending on what churches we're talking about. But, you know, imagine... A, bride, a, a, a woman or a man who's engaged, who, who never talk about their wedding, who never really give a hint that they're in a relationship. What, what, what's that? How about you know, someone who flirts with others, you know, who's engaged? You'd think, what's, what's wrong here? They're flirting. You know, how much the church flirts with the world, tries to be a part of wants to be loved by the world, wants to make sure that... And, uh, and it's just off. We have to get back on track, on a course that's contrary. But it's a, it's a great course. It's a godly course. It's a power, power course. It's, it's where life is. Eternal life. That's what we're after. And you can experience the eternal life of God on this time, on this path. That's the good news of the gospel. We're not here just to hang on d- till sweet Jesus returns. It's, it's to reign in life through one. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So why are we giving in, flirting with the world that tells you to be angry, bitter, divisive, addicted, confused, anxious, lonely? We have all the resources of heaven right there for us if we would just put ourselves on that track. And uh, that makes us the oddballs, right? We're laughed at, mocked at, persecuted, and it might all get worse as the days come, but... Here's the destiny of the church in a final word that's really something. I told you the church is the ecclesia called out. In Revelation, there's the the transformation to the bride. It says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. There's the happy wedding day. But who... Who does John describe as the bride here on this wedding day? It says the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Well, who's that? That's, a, that's the church. Well, why isn't it called the church? In fact, you don't see anything of the church in the last chapters of Revelation or in most of the chapters. In the beginning, they have messages to the churches. Where's the church? The church is gone. It's no longer a church. It's the bride. It is a city. We are no longer called a church. We are called a city. What does that mean? Remember, church, ecclesia, means called out from. In other words, we have so much corruption in this world and things that are ungodly and wrong and out of sorts, out of joint, 
We are called out from them, and so we are described as a group called out from these things. But we're called into something else. We're called out to be called into the perfection. And then when we enter into that time that Revelation 21 talks about, there's a new heavens and a new earth. There's a whole new order that Jesus has brought to pass. The judgment has come. The new order has been established And no longer is anything corrupt. No longer is there any trace of the curse. No longer is there darkness, pain, suffering, sickness, sorrow. Everything is a state of glory and perfection. And we, as his people, fit right in. We're we're not called out any longer. We are the, the city that we're talking about. This is the glory. This is the holy without blemish, without spot. We've been nourished. We've been cherished for such a time as this. To come into this place where there's total peace, glory, rest. And it's not dull, boring, or anything. It is a time of eternity in which we experience eternity of revelation, of power, might, and glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think the universe is so big and mysterious and beyond what we can fathom? Because that's how great and unfathomable the creator of the universe is. And beyond that, there there will be ages and ages to discover what he has for us. And I believe there will be works and there will be functions, but they won't be as it is now. The drudgery, the dredgery, the despair, the the dread, it's going to be a place where we're not to be called out for. We are just right in our element. We are, everything is okay. Everything is, is right. And it's heaven. And it's, it's wonderful. We will be the city and not the church. For now, this is what we anticipate. And this is why we do what we do. This is why we are on a path. And if you're not on the path, get on it. Because you don't want to go down with the ship. And, you know, you might, you might be saved. You might, might have given your life to Christ. But why do you want to miss out on your inheritance? Why do you want to miss out on what things can be now? That's what I'm called to preach and tell the world about. We've, we've, we've gone past the elementary principles. Let's go on to perfection. And in this time, this time when, when it seems like the church is at its last Last breath, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is the best time for God to show himself strong when everything looks contrary to it, because that's how God works. He works with the impossible, and he brings forth the great results. So that's what I see. That's what I'm looking towards. I pray you look towards it, too, in anticipation of the things to come. And uh, we'll help each other. Amen? Amen.